I just think right now, women, especially in business, this is the year of women. I just know that. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Nobody can tell me differently on it. When you start teaching something, I feel like that's when you start to master the actual art of it. You and I, when we publish a book, we can go toe-to-toe with any of the New York trade publishers, any of the big-time authors, and we get to compete in that marketplace and then let the market decide whether our stuff is good. People forget sometimes as an entrepreneur, the whole damn point of entrepreneurship is to make money. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss. Have you ever wanted to stop the nine to five grind and start your own company? Do you want to have more control of your income and your time? Then now is that moment to start and grow a successful business. As a female entrepreneur, I have succeeded. I have bit the dust. I have bounced back to growth and prosperity. But this would not have been possible without first taking the leap and owning my own business. But I didn't do it alone. I hired my first business coach 13 years ago. And now I help small businesses, solo practitioners, and professionals double their income and triple their time off. So let me help you too. My gift to you today is a free one-on-one strategy session. So go to coachwithheather.com, coachwithheather.com. And let me help you double your income and triple your time off. Hey everyone, this is Heather Havenwood and welcome to another edition of Like a Boss Insights with influencers, entrepreneurs, and badasses like you. I'm super excited to have Karen Rands on the line, someone that I just got interviewed yesterday, but now I get to like poke at her all day and ask her all kinds of questions which I'm super excited about because she's doing something really, 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 really amazing and really unique, and that is angel investing, but as a woman, and I think that's very um, new, meaning the perspective of a lot of people feel like that whole world is closed down. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. I felt like angel investing for a long time is kind of completely closed down for me because I'm a woman because I'm not in the like, I don't know, circles correctly. And so I think that's really cool what she's doing. I support her 100% of what she's creating, what she's up to. So let me just share with you who Karen Rands is. Before that is, Karen, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello, everybody. Excited to be here. Thank you. And I'm really excited to have you here today. This is really going to be a good conversation for anyone who's like, I know for myself and I share with you in the green room that I've pitched about two years ago, I pitched um, two guys, my idea about co-working space for women only, and they laughed at me. And now I'm literally going to a couple hours from now, I'm going to an event where it's a grand opening of a co-working space here in Austin for women only. So it's like, ah, nice. And I just was shut down. And so I want to share that story with everyone, but also I want to share who you are in the world and what you're creating, what you're standing for. And it's Karen Rands is a venture catalyst, a compassionate capitalist, economic, economist, I'm sorry, I can't even say that, a compassionate capitalist, um, economist, is that right? Economist. Economist. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Investor and entrepreneur. (laughs) She's nationally recognized as an an expert on angel investing and the author of best-selling book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. I'm really excited about talking to you. Karen is the leader and advocate for the compassionate capitalist movement. And Karen has been described as a dominant force in the entrepreneur investor markets with her blog, published articles, frequently speaking engagements in her compassionate capitalist radio show, which I was on. So I'm super excited about that. Learn how she helps entrepreneurs at Karen Rands, R-A-N-D-S dot C-O dot co. Cool. Yay. Yay. Karen, thank you so much. So one of the things I want to just share with you and everyone listening, and this is a story I've never shared before, but this is going to go right, feed right into you and what you're creating. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of doors closed for me and I'm not like using as an excuse or victim. It's more like, I wish I knew what I know now kind of thing. Um, I actually transferred to Texas Christian University and I walked into the business and business school and I sat down, I said, I want to be an economist major. And the guy looked at me and goes, you're a woman. You can't like, there's no money in it for women. And I walked out because I loved one-on-one and one-on-two 
um, economics. And looking back, that was, I listened to some dude, you know, and I walked away, but I did it again two years ago when I sat down with two people, shared my idea. I had the entire spread of my idea of creating the Haven, uh, co-working space for women. And I have all these ideas and I shared, 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 shared. And I had like, I mean, I had a business plan. It wasn't just like, an, I had a business plan and they laughed at me. And again, I shrunk down and two years later, here I am talking to you on the eve of me going to a co-working space for women only in Austin. So I'm not alone in that. It's a little, it's a little uh, uh, vulnerable of me to share that, but I think that that happens a lot. And I feel that men specifically have this, like they hold the keys or something to that whole world, finance and um, angel investing. And I'm just excited that you're someone who's in that movement and standing for anyone and everyone to get in that world. So I'm just excited that you're here. Yes. And the I guess the irony may not be the right word for that, but I'm struck by after our talk yesterday and given your whole thing of not being asking permission of men and all of that, that so recently that you experienced that. And so can you imagine given how, um, strong of a conviction you have that women can come to the market on their own terms and do what they want to do. I know you're affected with that. Imagine what all the other women that have wonderful ideas are going to market and bring in, you know, bring an innovation to the market, what they encounter and they don't have the benefit of the, of, of the confidence and the training, the mental and, you know, training that you've done for yourself that you also share with other people. I know. I agree with you. And where I was just interviewed yesterday about the, being unapologetically fierce in my next book. Um, but I'm affected by it too. That's why I'm so advocate of it because I think that there is a piece of me that just shrunk down. It's like, I guess I'm not, that's not going to work. I'll be fierce in other places where I feel like I'm allowed to be whatnot. You know what I mean? So it, it is something that, my sister and I have sat down so many times with amazing things that we want to bring to market. She has the background, so do I, but we don't come from rich parents. We don't have access to the elite of, of Hollywood or San Francisco. Uh, we don't have access to that, you know, and, and I feel like we're kind of in a place where and that we are, I don't know, overlooked. I mean, I sat, I literally made phone calls and sat down with two men different men, different times, sat down, created a plan, pitched it, and they laughed at me. And they said, no, that co-working for women's not going to work. That was two years ago. Yeah, so... I guess I'm wrong, you know what I mean? I guess I'm wrong. And I, I just wish there was someone like you at that time to say, hey, here's new doors. Yeah. Let's walk into some new doors and see if this idea is valuable. I'm always about feedback. You know, and like maybe the idea isn't right. Um, and so I just, I just sharing that story because I, I, I'm really an advocate for what you do. So let's, t- let's dive into what you do. So one of the things that I have done for a long time with, you know, I ran an angel investor group in Atlanta and we did pitch events and companies would pitch. But there's what you, what, what you've just described is something that is common to a lot of entrepreneurs, male and female entrepreneurs and that is um that confidence they've got this baby that they want if you call your baby ugly then you get all hurt by it right and so there's this thing that we think about money um and it's uh you have to i have a coaching program where i teach people how to uh, entrepreneurs how to get over the fear of asking for money so that they'll approach it the same way they, they would approach sales. So one of the examples I often use is when if somebody was selling a software package to hospitals and they had an opportunity to pitch to 40 hospital administrators and they knew that this software product would solve the problems and their research has said that this is going to solve the problems. They're going to make money. It's going to make the hospital more efficient, blah, 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 blah. And if at the end of that pitch, if nobody asked them any questions or if nobody, they would go, well, what did I do wrong in my delivery of that and conveying the value proposition? Because I know that they would benefit from this. And, but unfortunately what happens with, 
um, entrepreneurs a lot of times they don't they'll either go to the core like what you did that my idea is just wrong you know and they believe them or they'll go to a place where they say oh they don't know what they're talking about they weren't really investors right and so there's this this sort of a inexact science of how you go through the process of being in a beauty contest which is that is what you are when you're um, pitching to investors right because if they're truly an angel investor not just somebody with money sometimes people go to people that they know do real estate investing or they go to people that they know are private equity funds or hedge fund managers or something like that, that they know that right. they're in the money space but they're not a fit for the type of company or stage or things that that um, entrepreneur is doing and right. they and so they translate what they do as negative on what it is that they do where they just were the wrong audience but then there is also the um, um, idea that the investor doesn't know what they're talking about and they don't intrinsically you know look at how they need to do better to approach the way we do sales when we approach sales everybody's heard of the sales funnel the 80 20 rule right, right. and so I turned it and figured it out with all the companies that I've helped over the years raise capital through our investor events and investor relations programs uh, and um, understanding the, what the funnel. And so when you first have a conversation with an investor, there's a whole lot of that you don't know about what it is that they would invest in or even if it's timing is good for them, particularly at a very early stage. So the funnel is, you know, mm -hmm. how many investors do you have to expose your opportunity to to get to the ones that I call them sweethearts that you're going to spend time with explaining, answering questions and things like that because they, they find it interesting and they're just trying to understand if it will really work or not, if it fits for them, to the ones that actually stroke a check. And so I call it the Kugarank theory of private equity just because it sounds more impressive, you know, than Karen Rand's theory of private yeah. equity. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> so, so basically you're taking the model of sales funnel and putting that on top of entrepreneurship. Yeah, and it gets where then the no's aren't as personal because you know it's a process you have to go through. And as you get better at it, answering questions differently, yeah. tweaking things differently, you accelerate the process of, of attracting capital. And the first money in is always the hardest money. And so it gets easier as you get through it because, we, quite frankly, when you're dealing with people that have never met you before, right, if, if you're doing something where you're out there, trying to pitch to investors, then there's there's the idea, but then there's also the trust factor. And so part of the trust factor is can you raise all the money that you're looking for? Right. And so if you're going to be first money in, I don't want to put my first money in if I don't think they can go the distance. Mm -hmm. if they have what it takes, right? They can handle the nose. They can handle the fear, facing the fear of the rejection and all mm -hmm. those kind of things. So it's, it's, it, it gets the mental side of it and the emotional side of it is one aspect of it. And then there's the practical business side of it that do you have, you, have you checked all your boxes to know yeah. that you've got a business that is feasible enough to make money and get to profit? Yeah. I mean, with my little example, I mean, I, I say I wish I had had you two years ago. It's okay, maybe it's a bit, but now I have you now, right? So um, I didn't look at it that way. I had two guys that, that I thought were investors because they I was part of an incubator and they were the investors in other companies, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but it was different kind of companies. It was very uh, tech-based um, and they didn't know that my world, you know what I'm saying? So I think now now that I have you, I'm going through that process. It's like, okay, I can go through that process with my idea of the Haven. And that's what I want to focus on the Haven, the co-working spaces and what I'm creating, what I'm up to. Cause I really do believe that there's a huge amount of opportunity for entrepreneurs specifically with women. So going into that, if someone's listening, going, Hey, I have an idea too. where in the world do they start? If they have that same fear that I do, like, Hey, I'm not, I don't, I don't have access to the elite. I don't even know where to begin, what would you say with someone like that? Who's just driving the car right now. Like I have this great idea. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Where do I start? How do I even get into the conversation with investors to be on the, in front of them? Sorry. I hope it's not going to, no worries. Can you hear that? No. It's okay. okay. All right then. We're good. Sorry. So where would someone start? Well, the very first thing you have to do when you have an idea is um, flush it out. 
right? So incubators and accelerators oftentimes are good for something like that because they will help you validate your your um, authentic customer, as they call it. That's the kind of the hot term is, you know, who's going to want to buy it and how do you know that they really want to buy it? A lot of times yeah. entrepreneurs will just ask people, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Would you want to buy it? And they're not going to say no. They'll just, they'll, they're going to say yes because that's what people do, you know, because they haven't actually had to buy it, right? And so one thing, the Internet is a beautiful way to validate ideas to a certain degree. So you can throw up a page, capture the SEO of people looking for something, and just capture at the very raw how many people are searching for what I have an idea for. That's like just really basics, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, you know, you're throwing up um, – I, I tell people when they write a business plan, people still often think business plans are passe. They don't need a business plan. All they need is an executive summary and a pitch deck. Maybe, but um, and and for certain types of investors that are just throwing money on the wall and they're just kind of spread it all around to see what works, those that's well they want. But people that when you get beyond that and you get beyond those kind of folks, the people that are regular business type investors or people that are business people that want to invest in something that has a big upside potential, they want to kind of know a little bit more about what it is that you're doing. And at the very least, when you get started, you need to have a business plan that is something becomes your roadmap for your team to follow, where they're following you and your direction and your vision. So I always tell people there's three business plans that you have to have. You have to have the one that is just the basic one that you might consider an executive summary. It's a couple pages of just flushing out, are you going to make enough money in this that it's worth your time and effort compared to what mm-hmm. you do now? Okay. Okay. So yeah. number one is, is it worth your effort business plan? Right. Okay. What's yeah. number two? Number two is the the roadmap of your research. And so it's maybe 10 pages with addendum. This is my market research. This is how, you know, all the various things you got to flush out to actually be in business, right? So it's sort of the roadmap so that when somebody, an investor starts to do due diligence, they'll look, they'll, they're, they're not going to read the whole thing. Right. They're look for specific things that are their hot spots that they've found um, the deals that they failed that have failed that they didn't make money on. This was a weakness that that company had. So I'm going to look at this company to see if they have figured that out, or at least know that they need to figure it out. Sometimes you may not have all the answers, but you have to know how you're going to get the answers. Well, I'm going to hire this company or this advisor that's going to help me get those answers when I'm at that point. I know I don't know the answers. Okay, I know I don't know. Right, and then um, so those are your those are your then the the other one is the wish list of, well, because sometimes investors don't want you to boil the ocean, they call it, right? And you've got all these ideas, you know, and then when I do this, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to go do this, and then I'm going to expand it this way. And so this is the stuff that you write on the bedside table that says, oh, when I get this done, I'm going to have, I'm going to do this part of it. I'm going to spin off into this, and I'm going to do these things. And these are all your ideas that you're capturing that can be spawned from your original business plan that is the one that will attract capital and make money to enable the rest of it. And then you slowly bring those in. And if you get into a conversation with an investor say, well, what do you do after this? What's your five year vision? Then you go, Oh, well, I'm thinking about these things, you know, right. You don't put them into the original concept because it's too much. They'll, they'll think you're trying. So how do you get in front of investors? That's my question. How do you get, once you have these business plans, how do you get in front of investors? Okay. Well, there's a, the big part of it is the who do you know? If you've ever been in a multi-level, they always take you through this process of who do you know, right? And they say, don't judge them by what you think they could or couldn't or wouldn't do. And so it's not the decision. Because when you're at the very, very beginning in what they call the friends and family round, right? Yeah. They always talk about that. And, and investors say friends, family, and fools. Well, because the reason why they say friends, family, and fools is because most of the time, that is the riskiest money because you don't. There's so much you don't know because you haven't actually started your business. You know, you have theories and right. assumptions and, that are well researched, but you know, until you're in it, you don't know it. And you so, don't know it, right? So you have to. So what you want to do is you want to circle your rolodex that age myself a little bit, but all of your contacts and your networks to 
one, let them know that you're doing, because you just don't, you never have those kind of conversations about financials and what is your financial situation with people that you just encounter in a business or even in a social setting. You just don't know. So you have to come up, the whole reason why you actually really do an elevator pitch, that, and I have a formula for how we do an elevator pitch, but it's, it becomes a conversation so that you can engage whether this person is a candidate for something to have a more serious conversation with um, because they either might know people or they might be that person. And so the first step is to really flesh out your, your, your personal network of who knows you because you want to, one, see they might have some of that seed money to get started, or two, might be a, a doorway into somebody else and they become a cheerleader for you in, in knowing what you're doing so when they meet somebody, they're scouting, if you will, for prospects for, to be an investor. And part of what you want to do, the reason why you need to raise a friends and family round, say you're raising a half a million dollars to kind of get to that next level, is because that stranger investor that's never met you before, they look at that first money, even if it's only 50 or 100 grand out of your 500 that you're trying to raise, they look at that for two reasons for validation. That if you, as an entrepreneur, male or women, we'll get, we'll get into the male or women side of it as well too, I guess, but if you as an entrepreneur aren't willing to go to the people that you know to ask them if they want to invest in your business, then you aren't 100% confident that you're going to be successful. Because if the example I use is that if you were told, if you knew 100% there is gold down the street in, uh, in that yard, and you needed two people to go help you dig it up, would you go to a stranger on the street and ask them if they had a shovel? No, you'd go yeah. to somebody you know and say, hey, man, grab a shovel. There's gold down the street. Let's go get right. it. Right? Right. You know, right. and so we're, you're lacking a certain amount of faith in what the, the success of what you're going to do. And the second thing is, otherwise, they know something about you that that stranger investor doesn't know. And there's some credibility, some ethical thing, some work ethic, some something in your background that would make them not want to put their money at risk with you. Because if you're credible and you are one of those people that get things done and you will work whatever and you also are very conscious of the fact that this person has trusted you, then, you're, then they're going to want to trust you too. It's a validation statement as well. So a lot of times people, because of their discomfort in asking for money, because, oh, I don't want people to think I need money right or i don't want to you know whatever they they make these excuses as to the reason why they, they don't want to ask them they want to ask a stranger that already gets business right and so you got to do both because it takes a longer to make a decision process with that person that that'll write a bigger check the person that is a friend and family may only write a ten thousand dollar check where a regular angel investor might write a twenty five or fifty thousand dollar check yeah. And so it takes longer for them to make that $50,000 decision than it does maybe somebody that trusts you and knows you to make a $10,000 decision. And then there's all kinds of methods to having them invest that becomes less painful and stuff that you can do to mitigate the risk and all of that as well. So let's talk about gender and your experience with men and women versus women in this process. Okay. So... You have to understand from the get-go, right? If we talk about systemic issues right. with women in the workforce, in the entrepreneur world of entrepreneurs, in college, everything, right? Just like what you did. Yeah. We have, I mean, we represent over fifty percent of the population, particularly in the world, in the work, in the population itself. I'm not exactly sure what the number is when it comes to the workforce, but we just you know, experience the equal pay day or whatever it was, right? We still only make 80%. Yeah, there's a huge gap still in between that. On, right? on, and that's just on pay for the same job. When you get into the ethnic groups of women, it's even less. They're it's even, even less, right. And and there is something with that also. And I would love to see the research, but in experience, like single women versus married women, there's a whole nother gap there too. Uh, I have had friends in the corporate world say to me that they've lied pretty much that they're to be, say, they say they're married with kids when they're not because they know they'll get more money because they found out they're their counterpart male because they're married with kids and they have a mortgage. The, for some reason, the hiring manager gives them more money. 
versus the single girl. I think that's interesting. It's like, really? So I'd love to see the data on that. I have no idea the truth of the data on that. That's just yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, so that's part of it. So, you know, I mean, if you think about, so we haven't had as many women entrepreneurs because um, of the confidence factor that we've, we've talked about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And going into fields that typically lead to entrepreneurs, tech fields, right? STEM, yeah. STEM yeah. or STEAM, depending on what, which, which, you know, acronym you, acronym you use. Um, and so it's only probably been in the last five years outside of the West Coast, maybe seven or eight, 10, let's give it 10, be, be generous, that you've even had an emphasis on teaching younger women and encouraging younger women to get into STEM fields, right? West Coast, perhaps it was further because, because the nature of tech was, has, has a deeper roots on the West Coast than it has in other places. STEM and AI and blockchain and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Right. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so that's been a part of it. So they just hadn't had the skills necessary. Women, I was on a task force. Gosh, it might have been, it must have been three years ago. It was the last year of the Obama administration, and they had some economic development money, and they were trying to figure out why there weren't more women entrepreneurs. And there was this think tank out of Washington that had come to Atlanta, and I was on a, a panel roundtable type of a thing, and there's our mayor had put a million dollars towards developing an incubator specifically for women entrepreneurs. And, uh, and they, so they came and it was all these women and they found, and the, the study, I have the study upstairs. The study was really fascinating because majority of women go into lifestyle businesses and as entrepreneurs, they're doing a consulting, they're doing a temp service, yeah. they're doing a daycare, they're doing a hairdresser, they're doing, you know, these kinds of businesses that aren't necessarily scalable businesses that you would go get investors for. It's what they can have dominion over. And um, and so I think what we've seen is that women have realized when they weren't getting paid, the strong women realized when they weren't getting paid what they needed to get paid in the workforce, yeah. they decided to go out and start a business. Here's what I know and I can do and I can control myself. My my customer base is likely going to be women. And I can, I can build a business and I can make a good living that way better than what I did in the corporate world and I go do that. And so you have to step back and say, well, if we want to cultivate women entrepreneurs, they have to be coming out of these entrepreneur programs in colleges that are being developed. They have to be in science and technology and in engineering and things like that. They have to be in these areas that are the typical larger scalable businesses. And, um, and they, and if they can get into a company and kind of learn the, uh, that is a tech company and learn the ropes within that company, then they can learn how to go out and do their own thing. And particularly if they were early in that company and got some equities when that company was successful, that they had some seed capital themselves to start doing stuff and make their own network. Then they, they started. So we're just really on the threshold of that wave happening. And there was an article that was in Forbes magazine yesterday that I thought was really perfect to kind of illustrate, you know, this thing. So there's been an organization that's been around for a long time that um, was called, um, uh, now I'm going to lose the, the, anyway, it was a developer organization that had been developing women entrepreneurs for 30 years, for 20 years. What is it called? Yeah, I've never heard of it. What is it? Yeah, it it was... um, uh, where is it? It was, and it was, they, and, and a couple of the women, very successful women, um, that women founders out of uh, Atlanta had been a part of, of these, or, this organization that had led them. And I, I, I can't. It's okay. It's okay. Can't it'll find come it. to me here in a second. I'll but. Let you, yeah. While you're looking real quick, I'll just talk. So, um, I mean, one of the things I think is interesting about what you're talking about is how the different kinds of businesses that women are choosing with that study, um, you know, consultancy coaching's a big one right now. Um, consulting, coaching, counseling, um, hairdresser, um, even maid services, things like that, things that they can understand. Um, you know, but like things like blockchain, um, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman, he reached out to me, he's, he does blockchain and he said, I'm reaching out to you because you're a woman and I'm interested in blockchain. 
And then I'm talking to a company next week about getting to like a certification in blockchain. Like, I don't know, you know, so, but that's because I'm an early adopter and I want to learn now. Like I'm willing to go in those technology conversations, but very few women are getting like, you know, certifications in cloud or uh, AI or blockchain. You know, they're just not getting. Right. Kinds of yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, it's a, that's a blockchain is something that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. So if you could be an early leader in that and establish your expertise and, and lead the way, then it's, it's, that's huge. So, um, the, uh, that group was, uh, Springboard. Springboard was the organization. Have you ever, you've never mm -hmm. heard of Springboard? No. And so it was a national CEO cultivating organization for women. And, um, Jane Lyman out of, out of Atlanta, that was one of our early security tech people. She, that was VC backed. She, um, had gotten her, uh, a lot of her support and, 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 uh, coaching and development through them. And so, you know, that was a long time ago. And, you know, for the longest time, the only um, angel investor, women angel investor group was Golden Seeds, right? Now there are sort of a national chain, if you will, of angel, angel clubs, but there are very few and far between. I, it pops up now and now, now and then on my feed of, of new angel groups that are getting started that are women centric, where they support each other and making their decisions. They may or may not invest direct only in women businesses because there's just simply not enough. So this article was about how la last year of the unicorn thing, um, six percent of the companies that were that were unicorns were um, female led. It, it jumped to 27% this year, okay, of the unicorn companies. And it, which, you know, but we go back to how many women are in, in the working population, right? And so, you know, you can see there's this big discrepancy, right? And, and only, um, only Much two of that, right? I mean, I'm a product of that right now. I mean, even in this conversation, I'm still kind of going, okay, how do I tap into that world? How do I tap into that world? How do I not be a number? You know, how do I not be a statistic to say, I have an idea. How do I get in front of investors as a woman? How do I, where, where are the doors that I knock? You know, that, I think that's the big, I don't know. That's just a big question I have still. So let's go back to your, your, um, co-working idea. Yeah. Okay? okay. So with the co-working idea, it would be, um, I, I, it would be, so who's your most like, who's going to get it? Well, first of all, men will, men might come in in the follow on end of it because they already see that you've been able to raise a certain amount of money. So right. it's going to be your major women that are power brokers in your community that are going to get it and have, and they may or may not be angel investors, right? But they may understand the opportunity if they're business leaders in your community. If they, they could be somebody that, say, you know, owns a non-traditional business. We have one really successful woman entrepreneur here that owned a um, loading truck business, right? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. So they may not be, but they would get the women connection. They would get the need for that. Because then you show statistics of the amount of women entrepreneurs in your community who would use this and all this kind of stuff. And you work through the relationship so, and figure out how to structure it that they will understand. And so people that are not in your angel, that are normal angel investors, people in the business of, of investing, because nobody's just got money sitting aside waiting to put into a private company. You know what I mean? They don't have a, uh, they don't have money underneath their mattress or in a cookie jar, right? They, it, all their money is always in, invested in something already. So they have to have motivation to move it from whatever it's invested in into what they're looking to invest in. Mm -hmm. So it's not a traditional business angel that has a money market that's liquid that they can pull money in and out of. Chances are they got, and this is one of the things I talk about in my book as a, as a um, means for people to get started in it. People that are executives that have big fat 401ks, for example, right? They got might have run an own company or they had their own business. They have a self-directed Roth IRA. Right. They've already done that. And they're investing in real estate out of that because that's a natural, normal way you learn how to invest in real estate. Well, you could do the same thing in investing in private companies with that. And so if they go and they take it, and then so what you do is you show it, here's my cash flow. 
here's what I'm going to do. If you don't want, if you're one of those people that doesn't want to wait 10 years, I don't know where this is going to go. I want to open up more than one company. Eventually we might go public. But if you don't want to be around for that full ride to go all the way and wait seven years for this magical thing to happen where you're going to get your liquidity back out of it, let's do something that we call, I call it royalty financing or revenue financing. And so they give you the money. You have a commitment. It's almost like a loan on your balance sheet, but they give you the money until at, um, a certain point of profitability, you start paying a percentage of your revenues back to them until a multiple, typically 4x of the money, goes into goes back to them. And guess what? It's incentive because if they believe that you that there's an opportunity for what you were talking about, that you're going to make the money, you got a team that knows how to make the money and doing something like this, and you are the powerhouse that you are to be able to advertise and promote it and get it out there, then they're going to get 4x their money back tax-free. He wouldn't want to do that. Right. Right. Wow. That's that. pretty hot. That's pretty, that's in your book. Yeah. Sorry. Her book is Inside Secrets to Angel Investing by Karen Rands. And where can they find it? Uh, it's on Amazon or, okay, you know, you can go to, you can, you know, you can order it from any of the other places that you normally get books. From. So is your book really designed for someone like myself to create the process or is it someone who, who's wanting to be an angel investor? It's really for somebody who wants to get started as an angel investor to learn how to do this. Now, I've had people that have entrepreneurs that have bought it because they wanted to learn how investors thought and right. they learned some incredible stuff that they that they had no idea that they wish they had known before they started their business. I had one lady that flew in from California to meet with me and she had... Um, she had got she had this really pretty cool software program and she had one investor that she, that gave her a bunch of money but she didn't structure her terms very well so when he didn't come around for the rest of the money he was committed to giving to her she didn't have a way to exit him out of the deal and she didn't know and then she was hanged, hogtied and couldn't go and get investors from other places because she had committed too much equity to him, even though he hadn't followed through on the rest of it. And, you know, so there oh, so was, she gave too much equity away, right? So that she couldn't get other rounds. Interesting. So through yeah. your book, the inside secrets of angel investing, someone can make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And there's a portal that, um, due diligence there's a, a portal that is offered when you buy it it's like the best deal out there because there's a lot of information in the portal oh really and get, okay and you get password access to it with the code that's in the book and there's due diligence sample term sheets there's a checklist that you invite there's a, a spread there's a spreadsheet where you calculate a formula for risk assessment on a deal that you might look at there's um, how the investor questionnaire or the invest, the entrepreneur questionnaire that you would ask entrepreneurs when you go to the follow-up meeting if they didn't answer it in the business plan there's all kinds of information that I make available so that there's a roadmap some tools for new investors to learn how to invest in entrepreneurs I thought when crowdfunding became all the craze that there would be all these people out there wanting to figure out how to invest in private companies and they there are there are but the term angel investor seems to be somewhat foreign to a whole lot of the people out there that are doing those kind of investments. And unfortunately, there's, there, there wasn't a better way, you know, along, I could put a hundred words into my title, but nobody would still search on it. So, you right. know, I'm out here doing these kind of messages to, to spread the word. And I am working on a, a companion version for entrepreneurs to understand the roadmap, like what you've gone through and you've been asking about. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the roadmap. And so you're focused. So, okay. So insider secrets, angel investing is really for geared towards people that want to do angel investing, but at the same time, it's probably looking at the different equities, different ways to buy in. So a person like myself who wants to find an angel investor should read the book as well. Cause you have to understand both sides of the fence, right? That's really awesome. I love that. Um, cool. So what, so what's next for you? What are you creating now? What's up? What are you up to? Where are you going? How can people like connect and go like, What's next? Okay, well, <clears throat> um, you have an organization, and you have uh, yeah. So I have um, they can KarenRands.co, which you said. All of my yeah. social media is on there. I also have um, what I call the Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break. Oh, um, so, I love that. That's cool. Where's that? Well, when you uh, CCCB Bitly CCC Capital CCCB dash sign up little letters sign up 
is the quick little opt-in on it, but it's uh, if you go to my contact page on on um, KarenRance.co, you get into it. And and what it is was that I realized for myself, very few people read newsletters or read long emails anymore. And so the thing that I thought people might be willing to do if they had a value is I would record these one to two minute videos answering a question that's been posed to me or a concept or a thought of the day for investors and entrepreneurs and then I'd send it out and then people would go, oh, it's a mental coffee break. I could take two minutes and watch Karen tell me something. A mental so, coffee break. I love that. So that's the easiest way for like connecting with within that perspective. Um, and then you know, my podcast is Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio. It's on Stitcher and TuneIn and iTunes, and I'm getting it out there on iHeart and Spotify and SoundCloud and all the other ones. And then uh, the uh, working on the companion book to this that I found that podcasting and getting my message out uh, via podcast is um, is probably my best avenue. And so I had been doing I've been doing my podcast for. 10 years. And so when I first started it, it was intended to be just a SEO backlink mechanism back, you know, so long ago. And it was called the Southeast private spec radio, Southeast private equity conference was a big conference that we did with hundreds of investors and entrepreneurs. And we would interview people and entrepreneurs and investors. And, um, but during the recession, I realized that a lot of my investors at the time had their money sitting on the sidelines. So I, I had this idea, this concept of compassionate capitalism, and I said, let's change the show. We need to get these guys off the sideline. The most direct way you could impact our economy is to get people investing in early-stage startup companies because that's where the jobs are created. And when innovation comes to the market that changes a market, you create a wave of jobs and economic growth. And, and the best way to do that is to get people to not just be capitalists because we as America, that's what we are. We are a capitalist country, thank God. And, but there's a different thing because there's a difference between just selling, buy, selling and buy, buying and selling stock and buying and selling real estate. That's capitalism. But when you invest in an entrepreneur that has innovation because there's something that you believe in, you believe in the passion that that company has, then you can become a compassionate capitalist because, yes, you want to make money, but you want to see your money do something more than just buy and sell and make money. You want to see your money have an impact. And it's not just because you're, you know, providing good water or something like that. It's something that creates jobs and creates wealth. The greatest source of wealth is entrepreneurism. The next greatest source of wealth is to be somebody investing in an entrepreneur. And so that's my mission. That my message, my mission is to get that out there. My goal is for people in my lifetime to um, be striving to learn how to invest in entrepreneurs the way they strive to learn how to invest in real estate. You know, now, what, once a week, at least a couple times a month, I get a postcard inviting me to some real estate training program, right? So I'm, I want that to be where people are wanting to learn how to get the tools to invest in entrepreneurs because with all of the different ways that you can invest under crowdfunding or the Jobs Act of 2012 is that you have, whether it's $200 or $200,000, there's a mechanism for you to participate in the growth of a company's success. Yeah. And you just need to figure out how to do it so you don't make stupid mistakes. You right. Know, it's risky, yes. But there are, there is, there are some, some mechanisms to do it, just like there's mechanisms to, be, to mitigate your risk in real estate there's, or in the stock market. People have lost money in both of those. Yes. You know? But your yes. chance of recovery of a loss in private companies is significantly higher than how long it takes to recover from the losses in the stock market and real estate. That's very true. So you want to, <laughs> you're creating it. We're getting those postcards in the mail about your events and about teaching people how to do angel investing versus how to buy and sell real estate. I love it. That's great. Well, I used to be one of those people that traveled the country doing those events. So yeah. yeah, I was, I was the one when you showed up for the postcard that you met. Right. So <clears throat> I used to travel the country doing those events. I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of tire kickers and people that just want to make extra money and want to learn how to, you know, make money for their retirement and use their retirement for something good. But like you said, why not use that same 
person to invest in conscious capitalism. You know what I mean? Compa- compassionate capitalism. Compassionate capitalism. Excuse me. Compassionate capitalism. There's a slight is- difference. I actually did a podcast on it not too long ago, the difference between conscious capitalism and compassionate capitalism. Oh, you did? Oh, that's interesting. I would love to listen to that one because I find it similar you know, in, from its consciousness and you're being conscious versus conscious. So, uh, but I love that either way, capitalism. And I love how you put that word in front of it to kind of, I guess, soften it for others to be able to be more attracted to it, I guess. I don't have a bad taste in my mouth about capitalism personally, um, but some people do, right? So um, I don't, I, I was born and raised in Houston. I don't know. <laughs> I have no problem with it. Um, so great. I love this. And I just want to kind of, again, reiterate who you are and what you're up to and what can people find you. So it's Inside Secrets to Angel Investing uh, with Karen Rands. And by the way, I just love how the fact that behind you, if you're listening to this on audio and not visual, behind her visually is this huge um, <laughs> banner of her book. So I don't even have to look back, like making sure I get her title right. I <laughs> like that's smart. I've actually like thought, like I put it on my checklist. Like I'm going to do the exact same thing because I have all this black space kind of behind me. And so I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to mimic Karen. Well, so- you look good. You look good with your black space. I was thinking about that myself. So. <laughs> Well, you can take my black space and I'll take this. I really need something to like, you know, brand it. And I, I, it's like easy and simple. You got that part of a trade show you did or something. And yeah. like, why not? I'm staring at you and staring at your book for the whole time. So it's smart. It's smart. Um, and so I just want to reiterate where they can find you, karenrands.co. And just one, any last words you want to share with people before we keep going? I would say uh, my main thing is um, be be a part of the entrepreneurial dream. Be a part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And you don't have to quit a good paying job that you like to that provides benefits to your family, that gives you, lets you leave the office at five o'clock on a Friday and all those kind of things that so many of, like, there's millions, millions of accredited investors based off of a W-2 in the United States that have never invested in a private company. And they, all the time you see in these magazines, oh, the, you know, your entrepreneurial dream, start a business at 50, whatever. You don't have to go start a business at 50 and feel like you got to scratch that into your midlife crisis. Just go find some good companies to invest in and share in the excitement of what they are doing and let that 25, 30 year old that can live on ramen noodles and beer and pizza and stay up all night, you know, doesn't have the other obligations, go fight the good fight of building the entrepreneur and be help, help them succeed with your being a financial partner and their success and you succeed as well. Wow. You know, that's some great advice actually. Like just, you know, why not take, be a part of the community in, in, in a way giving something and seeing it grow and being more of a mentor and whatnot and um, being a part of the process versus feeling you have to start your own thing. I just love that. One of my favorite shows ever. I don't know if you watch this. Do you watch the profit at all? I have watched the profit. It is an interesting show. It's really great. I love that show. I'm kind of addicted. Me and my sister are addicted. Uh, Shark Tank is great too, but I like the profit because these businesses are already going, they got mm-hmm. started and now like all the trouble, the drama and the troubles, mm-hmm. and the, the real stuff happens, you know? So he's like diving into like looking at the abyss, you know, behind the closed curtain. So uh, that's what he does. He just like, yeah. I'm going to put my money into this business because I believe in what you're doing, what you're creating, and I'm going to help you go to the next level. And um, he, we all know he can probably start his own furniture business or whatever. The last one I just saw was furniture business, but he's like, I'd rather invest into a company that's been around 25 years and help them go to the next level for the next generation. You know, that's, that was the last one I saw. So um, anyway, I love that advice. Very good advice, Karen. Seriously, honestly, I love that. And we can find Karen Rands at Karen Rands, R A N D S dot C O. Karen, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This is again, Heather Haven with like a boss. You can find us on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Roku, and all the other places you listen to podcasts. Again, this is Heather Havenwood. Check me out at heatherhavenwood.com. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Hey, it's Heather. Is your digestion feeling off? Are you often hungry even though you're eating enough and taking supplements? Are you struggling to burn off that last bit of stubborn fat that will not go away no matter how hard you diet or exercise? I guess I'm talking about myself here. See, it might be your gut. It was mine. That's why I am so excited to announce that P3OM, the Navy SEAL of probiotics, is now available at energywithheather.com. Look, tens of thousands of real people, including myself, has used P3OM to manage constipation, bloating, gas, acid reflux, abdominal pain, and much more. Look, as you'll learn when you go to energywithheather.com, P3OM uses unique and patent strand that has been proven in lab tests to deliver the right bacteria to your gut. So your body has what it needs to let go of all that fat. So look, what are you waiting for? Go to energywithheather.com. That's energywithheather.com. Are you a coach, consultant, small business owner, or online entrepreneur? Do you want to significantly grow your business, triple your list, and double your sales conversions? If the answer is yes, then launching a podcast is the next step. You see, being an expert in your field, having a website is no longer enough to be noticed in today's marketplace. I call it the influencer effect. Being an influencer is the key. You see, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And having your own podcast helps people to connect with you. If you're interested in having me help you launch your own podcast, grow your influence, and promote your business, then go to InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. That's InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. And let me help you rise to the top. Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook, when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200, and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.